Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on to a Losing My Voice edition of Dunked On Here. Let's see how much we can get through in the Eastern Conference. And, Danny, let's begin with the bottom of the alphabet, Washington Wizards. Yeah, the Wizards are 17-31 and 31 overall, a week 4-12 and 12 since the last 15-60. and 60. They are 24th in net rating, negative 4.7 points per 100 possessions, 21st in offense, 26th in defense, better than last year. Um, 538's Raptor model projects that the Wizards will win 26 games, which will be 12th in the East, and also doesn't think they're going to make the playoffs. As a point of clarification, the, I believe both the Raptor and ELO models on 538, you define playoffs as being in the best of seven not being in the play-in um and the wizards don't have a good chance of that because they don't yeah the offense really is pretty disappointing to look at this and say that they're 21st in offense that that was supposed to be what was going to carry this team i think looking at their personnel and their performance last year 26th on defense yeah probably about what you would have expected frankly well, and, and so if you look at it a little bit, so Bradley Beal, when he's been on the, there's, he has one of those, you know, Curry-esque differentials. They have a 114 offensive rating when he's on the floor and basically a 101 when he's off. But Oof. 114 when Beal's on the floor, that isn't, that isn't good enough to propel the Wizards to where they wanted to go anyway. Now, that's not always Bradley Beal's fault. He's, you know, leading the league in scoring when he's been available. But the idea that they could have this insane offense and still still be bad on defense like that that wasn't sustainable for them uh, to kind of catch up with where we are Beal has missed the last four games with a bruised right hip they won the first of those absence games when Russell Westbrook went absolutely insane he had 35 14 rebounds and 21 assists as they beat the Pacers but after that kind of crashing back down to earth they lost by 10 to the Hornets then got crushed by the Pistons and lost by 22 to Dallas uh, and Bradley Beal is questionable for Monday against the Raps Rui Hashimura, who we'll talk about more a little bit later, he didn't play against the Mavericks due to right shoulder tightness. He's questionable for Monday. And then Davis Bertans returned, started in Hashimura's place, played 20 minutes as they lost by 22. Yeah, Bertans, uh, his struggles this season, both with injury and just how long it took him to get going at the start of the year with his conditioning after he wasn't working out in the offseason back in Latvia. And probably a good idea for him as well. And you'll recall, too, that he didn't even go Bertans to the bubble in part just to kind of preserve himself for free agency and i think both because of covid and just because free agents want to kind of be on ice he's got a couple of serious knee injuries in his past he did not want to screw up his money and he didn't but he also has not played to the level that would have been expected and he was a big part of what they're supposed to do offensively so it seems like hey these guys should be done right they got no chance yeah, I mean, 
the Wizards, 17 and 31, negative 4.7 point differential. You know, if this, even in a 72 game season, or maybe especially in a 72 game season, you would think, yeah, that, you know, that's, even if you think the Wizards are better than this and will be healthier, you know, moving forward so that that, that part of their profile can improve. If you want to think about it this way, the kind of the problem is that the 10th spot in the East is totally up for grabs. So going into the day, the, the, the Wizards were only two and a half behind the Bulls. That's now three because Chicago beat Brooklyn in a game we'll talk about later. Um, only seven teams in the East are over 500. Only three are more than two games over 500. So what, what the problem there is, if you want to think about it from Washington's perspective and some of these other teams we'll get to, is that they're close enough to keep trying. And in some cases, that doesn't matter. You know, like if Cleveland's still going to play their young dudes, you know, a lot of these other ones. But for Washington in particular, like, I don't think that's why they were not a seller at the deadline particularly. But They didn't have much to sell. They didn't have much to sell. Exactly. But it is like you could see this, you know, chasing the faintest of dragons be a problem for some of these teams just making decisions on the margins, even with lottery reform, because still, you know, better to better to, to keep your guys fresh, better to, you know, maximize your equity, even even if falling further matters less than it did before. So they are projected to finish in 12th place in the conference, three games behind the 11th place Bulls right now by 538. So they would have to get into 10th, obviously. So they'd have to pass two of the Bulls, Raptors, Knicks, Pacers, Hornets, and so on down the line. And that looks uh, unlikely given how just that they probably have played the worst of any of those teams so far. And yet, this idea that we are three games out of a play-in, and again, like, the getting to the 10th seed, I mean, if the Wizards get to the 10th seed play-in, maybe they've got, you know, to win two games in a row there, you know, maybe getting to that 10th seed play-in is like a 15% chance of getting into the best of seven, where you will be summarily dispatched. Again, I if it were me, I would be treating it just like what matters, unless you're trying to get to like, you could realistically get to the seven or eight. I'm not putting a lot of stock in the nine or 10, at least as far as how I'm going to run the team. But that said, I mean, Bradley Beal wants to be there and wants to play and he wants to win the scoring title and all this stuff. So, I mean, they're good. at this point, it's not like there are so many young guys who are losing time anyway. I mean, you might as well just go for it and try and win games. The, unless they really get down to the end where, you know, a couple of losses will really help their lottery odds. Yeah, and the Wizards have a potentially defining stretch coming up right away. They have a six-game cross-country road trip in 10 days. So if they can make it through that, maybe this is a team that can, you know, keep pushing. And, and maybe by that point, we'll have to see. But this season is just so crazy in terms of how quick the game's growing. And to your point about still playing their young guys, I mean, Rui Hashimura has gotten that opportunity. And he's been more productive after the All-Star break since then. Didn't remember mentioning he didn't play on Saturday against the Mavs. He's averaging 18 points, six and a half rebounds per game, over 55% shooting, 57% on uh, 20 usage, which is a little bit higher than Hashimura had before. Yeah, and 57% true shooting, that's not amazing. And Seth Partno and Fred Katz did a nice back and forth talking about how Rui has had this nice stretch, but he's also kind of just been more aggressive from mid-range, a little more iso ball. This is 
he's not really going to be at least to me profiling as a guy who's going to drive efficient offense maybe a guy who could attack mismatches on occasion but he's so far away as far as being a passer and a creator and then the three-pointer hasn't really gotten much better the rim finishing hasn't really gotten a ton better the volume hasn't gotten a ton better and so it's kind of been just a a refinement of the stuff that he kind of did well but that also doesn't have that much value in the team context which is a, a attacking out of isolation and post-ups and working into the mid-range if you look at his overall stats for the season again the three-pointer is better than it was but still out of spot ups 0.86 points per possession that's nowhere near good enough and well his post-ups have been solid the iso face-up game has not been solid so I, I think what that tells me is that he's better off going against mismatches trying to catch the ball close to the hoop uses power game as opposed to facing up and attacking that way where he doesn't have that many moves let's move on to the toronto slash tampa bay raptors yeah, another team that's not exactly surging. Uh, they're 19 and 29 on the season, 2 and 12 since the last 15 and 60. They do have a slightly positive net rating after that demolition they handed the Golden State Warriors. So they're 15th in net rating, 13th in offense, 17th in defense. Uh, 538's model, Raptor model projects they'll win 32 games, which is 10th in the East. And 38% chance of making the playoffs, Raptor, 15% ELO because they're right in that mix, at least in terms of record with everyone else. Uh, kind of the injury updates for them Kyle Lowry is dealing with a right foot infection. He's going to miss around another week. Um, Fred Van Vliet strained his rep left hip flexor in that Warriors blowout and didn't return. Thankfully, the MRI was clean, but he didn't practice Sunday, so we'll kind of have to see what happens with Van Vliet. And then Rodney Hood suffered a fairly serious hip injury on Wednesday. That was, I, I believe that was from Nurse. I can't remember where that where that terminology came from. Uh, Hood had an MRI, but no timetable yet. And then Paul Watson and Patrick McCaw are still out as well. Yeah, uh, it's health and safety protocols for McCaw and Watson, right? I believe so, yes. So you mentioned uh, the Raps' hard luck, and they're you know two two and twelve in their last fourteen. But at nineteen and thirty, do have a positive net rating. It's very rare. I mean, so they've won about five fewer games than expected based on their point differential. But usually that'll kind of happen to a really good or or a bad team, and not a team where you know you're under five hundred by ten games, but you would actually be five hundred. I mean, that's kind of a thirteen fourteen wolves type of uh, scenario here and missing Lowry is going to be a problem for sure uh but uh, and they had a hard luck you know two and eight start to the season as well and these guys were 17 and 17 and then when COVID came along uh they are two and 13 the two wins of course have been massive blows probably almost as much I, I wonder what their point differential is just over that two and 13 stretch that would be that would be pretty hilarious to see they've gotten blown out in a few of those games too Okay, so just during this stretch, they're two and the Raptors are two and twelve. They have a negative four point one differential. Okay, that's not like batshit insane. Yeah, I mean they lost uh, by they've lost multiple games by more than twenty. Um, what have we seen from Gary Trent Jr. in his first few with the Raps? So he, he he really struggled very early on. It's only five games anyway. But um he then he so he had first couple games were pretty rough. Then he dropped thirty one in their loss to OKC. Was over five over five hundred from the field, six of eleven from three. And then he had twenty four in the blowout of the Warriors, six from nine from three. Then so overall. 
pretty similar. You know, they had the rough games and the good games. The overall numbers are pretty similar to what we saw in, in Portland. 56% true shooting, 20% usage. Both of those are about the same. Making 43% of his threes is a little bit better, but then he's been a little bit worse on twos. So, I mean, I, I think it's funny to think about it in the overall when it's only five games because they've been so disparate. But, you know, that is kind of a useful way sometimes of thinking about a player's, you know, overall run. Yeah, and one of the Bulls uh, or Raptors are going to make it, and they're only a game and a half behind the Bulls right now. Their schedule is pretty tough, though, isn't it? I guess five five thirty eight projects them to go. Yeah, they have thirteen the set- and ten the rest of the way. And in, in, um, in terms of just strength of schedule, seventh in the league. But they, yeah, they have twenty three games, which is on the higher side. Um, San Antonio has the most with twenty five left. Yeah, but they are still projected to finish three games ahead of the Bulls. And if you look at uh, 538's ELO, which is more based just on how you've played so far this year, they're only projected to finish one game ahead of the Bulls. So I I think that's going to be neck and neck. And one thing that we're going to see more of from Nick Nurse is Pascal Siakam at center, whether you want to call him or OG Ananobi the center. And those lineups overall with Siakam at center, plus 8.2 over 673 possessions. So that's about seven games worth of data. And that lineup with Norman Powell at the three was a plus 14 in 220 possessions. That included Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi, of course. But I, I thought it was more interesting to dig into what those units do because I that was clearly their five best players at the time they struggled to find a center they like boucher has given them decent production in terms of points and rebounds and blocking shots he's an excellent shot blocker but he's also undersized and it will make some mistakes so he's not really a starting quality option there the biggest thing about those units they hold opponents to a 108 defense rating which uh in this crazy day and age is actually pretty good those units force just a buttload of turnovers 20 percent turnovers forced from the opposition that's like a college team uh but part of the problem there is that since they're small and because they're trying to force all these turnovers probably as well they foul a ton so that might limit how many minutes you can play there they do rebound okay this has always been a bad defensive rebounding team so it doesn't hurt their rebounding too much and those units also still despite the good defensive rating give up 40 percent from three and i think it was uh daryl blackport who had this that basically the wraps had one of the better seasons in recorded history on opponents wide open threes last season and one of the worst seasons in recorded history on opponents wide open threes this season uh so that's a big part of why their defense which we thought would be really good and was really good last year uh, has disappointed Anything else on the Tamperanto Raptors, or do you want to move on? Well, I think we just, uh, Lowry coming back and when that is, uh, is just going to be massive yeah. for these guys. And they keep trying to get some momentum. We've talked about how they just mentally don't seem to be in a great place. So you could see if things continue to spiral out of control here, maybe they'll move into kind of a new phase. But that said, they have all these vets. They don't really have any young guys that they need to play that they're going to shut guys down for. So I I think they're going to stay in it hard uh, until the end. It doesn't really make any sense uh, for them to shut it down unless they're really trying to get a draft pick. But they didn't, in theory, hold on to Kyle Lowry to not try the rest of the year. Right. I think that's that's a total. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because 
my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Fair point. And yet, let's, uh, let's get to the Sixers here. Are you ready for that? I am. Uh, Philadelphia, 34 and 16 on the year, 12 and 4 since the last 15 and 60. They are seventh in net rating, plus 4.5. Uh, 14th in offense, a strong fourth in defense. And 538 projects them to finish tied with the Brooklyn Nets for the best record in the Eastern Conference, and they're going to make the playoffs. Tyrese Maxey is, is in health and safety protocols. He's out uh, Sunday, so we haven't we don't know the timeline yet. There are generally two different timelines they could work from. And Joel Embiid returned on Saturday. He had 24-8, got dunked on by Towns, um, but Philly won 122-113. Um, but then Embiid sat on the second end of the back-to-back on Sunday, and they lost to Memphis. I didn't see this game, by the way. Carl Towns played 44 minutes, but fouled out and had 39 points, 14 rebounds, and five assists. Yeah, he gets uh, up for Embiid games. I watched. I watched a part of it. Um, and yeah, and it, Embiid Embiid looked good, looked good early on, but Towns was very motivated, which was which is so much fun. You and I both love watching him. So what I wanted to focus on in this Sixers section was the 10 games that Joel Embiid missed and like how it looked for the how it looked for the Sixers and everything else. And I think the overall takeaway should be that it was it was a very positive stretch for them, at least a, a, compared to what I expected. Um, fourth in net rating, you cleaning the glasses version, plus 7.6 per 100 possessions, 7-3 record. And impressively, the Sixers did it through defense. Uh, they were the number one defense during that time frame, forced a ton of turnovers, got a lot of defensive rebounds, because you can think about the way that their, their kind of roster is structured. Um, but they did also have 
some pretty big opponent shooting luck, third worst in threes during that time frame, bottom five opponent shooting on long twos, but they were doing the other things right. So like the principles of their defense, I think largely stood. But one thing that I thought was really fascinating is that even though for most of it, I mean, Tony Bradley's on the team for a lot of that stretch, Dwight Howard is still there. Um, Sixers opponents shot 67% at the rim during that time compared to 60% when Embiid's on the floor, taking about the same frequency. So that's one of the ways that Embiid is better than his brother and even though they're playing big all the time yeah Embiid still is just a massive presence there even though he's never been like a huge stat stuffer just in terms of shot blocks he is a, a massive presence around there Ben Simmons though kind of struggled during this period and uh, Bodner and Rich Hoffman talked about this uh, today as well that they tried they started Mike Scott in today's game uh, when they lost to the Grizz with, with Embiid sitting out but Mike Scott is not really an adequate defensive option for this group and so all the rest of their centers are guys who don't really have any kind of shooting range and they're not going to post up and draw attention so that Simmons can operate down low in the dunker spot or run some pick and roll or pick and pop and 48 percent true shooting like the, you would have thought that they would have struggled much worse knowing that that was the case but uh some other guys uh, were able to step up and shoot well in addition to the opponent shooting luck that you mentioned Right. So the usage leader for the Sixers during Embiid's absence was actually Shake Milton, you know, doing a, doing a lot off the bench, 27% usage. Tobias Harris close behind. He had a really nice stretch with Embiid out. But a lot of the support players also shot very well. Seth Curry had a nice stretch. Danny Green was hitting was hitting a ton of shots. Not, you know, taking a ton, but but hitting what he had. And they also, the Sixers had a nice stretch from Tony Bradley before trading him at the deadline in the George Hill, Hill deal. Hill has not yet debuted. And I was just putzing around like the Sixers stuff during like looking at that stretch and got sucked down as is not the first time ever got sucked down in Matisse Thibel rabbit hole. The Sixers had a 94.3 defensive rating during Thibel's minutes during this stretch. Um, he also, the Sixers, he has the seventh lowest defensive rating Thibel does for the full season of any player playing more than 15 minutes a game. Um, during that stretch, he averaged a steal and a half and a block and a half playing just 12, 22 minutes a game. And you're thinking like, oh, that's completely insane because it is. But those are all pretty much around what Thibel's been doing this year. And so that led me down the other rabbit hole, which was for the full season, 3.8 steal percentage, 4.6 block percentage. Both of those are higher than Matisse Thibel's rookie year. And in NBA history, playing over 800 minutes, there are only seven players that have ever had a steal rate over three and a block rate over three. And he's at 3.8 and 4.6. So he's like blowing those away. Uh, Hakeem, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Bobby Jones, Gerald Wallace, Nerlens Noel, Kerry Scurry, and then Thibel last year. So if he does it this year, he'd be the first player in NBA history to ever do that twice. Uh, and it'd who, be, the, who the hell is Kerry Scurry, by the way? Can we? So that was that was somebody, who, a name, again, people know that I didn't follow NBA history. He was uh, Well, on, I, I did, and I, I still have no idea who so Harry Scurry was a forward on the very early Carl Malone jazz teams. He was in the, in the, in the mid eighties. And he, so I, I ended up going down on a little bit of a thing with him is that he was an extremely talented player, but it sounds like what happened was alcohol. And he ended up going mm. to, he ended up going to Brazil and played a lot in overseas and was like, basically kind of like, as he was getting his life in order and was beloved and was very talented there. It was just that he, you know, kind of ended up washing out of the NBA and Kerry Scurry 
actually did this twice if you lower the minutes limit to 700 the second time he did it like 750 um also if you lower it to 700 you add Jan Vesely and Robert Trailer to this list which is kind of fun um but yeah so Kerry Scurry was a, a talented guy and uh, I can't remember the name of the Brazilian coach that he had he did a did a ranking of like the five most talented players that he'd ever coached at any level and he put Scurry third which was over Oscar Schmidt and a few other people that, uh-huh. that people would know he's just like yeah he was like one of the most physically talented guys he ever had and Joe yeah I, I would it would be very interesting to like find somebody who knew more about that but it was it was weird to see like somebody who I just straight up had no idea who they were so Thibel obviously has been awesome and I think I think he's also really improved as a man-to-man defender yes this year just watching him getting through screens and knocking the ball away from guys facing up you know it's not just blocking guys from behind as much anymore it's not just the help defense plays uh but he actually is staying in front of guys and just getting strips just like straight up when guys try to dribble in front of him he's taking it away unfortunately he's suffered a major regression on offense this year when he actually started shooting he shot it pretty well in summer league he shot it pretty well the early part of last year wasn't huge volume but he seemed to feel comfortable unfortunately this year he is 21 out of 76 on jump shots in the half court that's not very good no no it is not uh so now we'll get to see what they look like with Embiid back and he said he felt okay he he gave an interview in which he was basically said he thought that he was done when he suffered that bone bruise but uh and that he was just lamenting how every time it seems to be going so well for him that he something happens from a health perspective so hopefully he can stay healthy the rest of the way because he's uh having certainly you know maybe the per minute mvp here the orlando magic 17 and 32 somehow actually are 4 and 11 since the last 15 and 60 i would consider that to be progress they had this great win against the clippers who were not at full strength they still had Kawhi in that game nice comeback win 26 in net rating is negative 6.3 28th on offense but still somehow the wizardry of steve clifford 14th on defense and they project for 25 wins that's 13th in the conference less than one percent chance of the playoffs so what's going on with the orlando magic well i think it was tuesday's podcast we we both predicted that was the predictions one we both predicted that the magic would finish the season with the worst record in the league and then over the next two games they beat the clippers and the pelicans and they then lost the jazz by 46 and they're actually playing the nuggets close as we record this that game has not yet resolved um but it has been you know a lot of a lot of young guys stepping up wendell carter is starting now um he is carter is averaging about 15 and 10 during the game so far um that's that's about what he's at so far in this game as well um and he didn't start but now now is starting for them which is pretty exciting but it's also been chumo kiki has really stepped into a larger role during this shorthanded magic run after the after the deadline yeah what's the statistical impact for him in uh those five games since he moved into the starting lineup he's averaging 16 points six rebounds three assists in five games to take his starting spot he's playing 30 basically 33 minutes a game that is a a big part for the season and and for the full season okiki shooting 39 percent on threes taking 4.1 per 36 that's on the low side but not just on the exceedingly low side like you'd like to see that a little bit higher and just in case anybody doesn't remember who this is played at auburn okiki was drafted 16th overall in 2019 but everyone knew he was going to miss the full season after tearing his acl in the tournament 
uh, didn't sign his rookie deal until until this season, so it was the full Josh Hustis, except that like his thing was more that he was hurt rather than Hustis, where he wasn't a first-round talent and was willing to wait a year. Um, but he's having a stronger than he's having a stronger overall stretch. Yeah, we talked about his defense uh, about a month and a half ago on the fifteen and 60 uh and i watched uh, his last few games uh, on offense he definitely has been more aggressive off the dribble when we talked about him last time he had one of the lowest usage rates in the league it was something like the 10 11 range or something and a lot of that was just they had all these other guys that he was playing off of he was playing on the second unit as well they now have basically no guards they've been starting chess and randall uh, with cole anthony still out and so he's been a lot more aggressive off the dribble he's been taking some mid-rangers working into to that area he doesn't really have the ability to blow by his man in terms of a first step and i wouldn't say that he has like a ton of rise he's a solid athlete for a combo forward type but not someone who's really going to create separation vertically or really attacking the basket either in any kind of a one-on-one situation against the jazz when granted they were down by 40 the entire game they tried to ice him on boyan bogdanovich a number of times and he was able to step in a few times if he got deep post position. He's got a nice little kind of up fake step through game. He's got a little fade away from 14 feet that he can get off against the likes of Bogdanovich. Not really doing much that was going to draw the defense over. Uh, the few times that he did, he actually tried four shots over Rudy Gobert and not a single one of them actually hit the rim. <laughs> um <laughs> So he's also just been getting a little thirsty. I mean, this is a, I think he's been given the green light. This team doesn't have anyone else to create shots at this point in time. I mean, he's out there with James Ennis and Dwayne Bacon and Jason Randall. And so Wendell Carter, I mean, he's crazy as it is to say he's one of their better offensive options now, but he's still trying, learning in that role what a good shot is he's tried for example there was a player 13 on the shot clock against the Pels being guarded by James Johnson who's still a pretty decent defender uh he just kind of like got stuck in the mid-range picked up his dribble did like an awkward pivot was off balance and then just like took an impossible fade away that airballed with 13 on the shot clock so he's got to learn a little bit more what uh good shots are uh and he really hasn't created many shots for his teammates uh, off of his attacks. What do the stats look like uh, over this uh, five-game stretch here? Well, I mean, sixteen and six. I think. I think overall, overall that looks good. Um, and then overall for the season, I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't catch you mention this. Okiki one point one points per possession on spot ups. That's actually better than I would have expected. Um, and we've see, you just brought up how his role has changed. But having that, if it ends up being a more, let's call it more of a baseline. If if that is what part of what he can be, that would be extremely encouraging yeah and i think uh, his defense he's gotten good reviews uh, for that in this recent stretch uh, as well so He's an interesting guy. I think we'll see whether, I think it's just encouraging that he's been more aggressive from three lately. And yeah, I don't think he's going to be a guy where you put the ball in his hands to create, but this is good reps for him that when he does get an advantage situation or gets a a switch when he's, he's playing the four and screening for someone that, you know, he can at least do something, you know, he's starting to show at least enough of a skill level for that. So you are a little worried when he's like 10% usage that, oh, maybe this guy just doesn't have it at all offensively. He's at least least can do something with the ball and that's probably given where he could be going defensively that that could be enough uh 
Wendell Carter, his stats uh, as a magician hasn't been particularly efficient. They haven't been posting him up at all. Only six assists, which, you know, that was kind of the appeal of him was running stuff through the elbows. They have been defending pretty well, though. Uh, As a pick and roll roll man, he hasn't really been able to finish much. He's only four of 11 in that situation. We'll talk more about him, obviously, uh, because uh, I'm sure we will be fiending for stuff to talk about with the Magic. So let's let's not ruin the party uh, on Wendell Carter now. And let's move on to the New York Knickerbockers. The Knicks are an even 25 and 25. They were 500 the last time we did this, 8 and 8 since the last 1560. A positive net rating still, a plus 0.6 is 13th, 24th in offense, 3rd in defense. 538 projects them to finish with the 9 seed in the East, 34 wins, 39% chance of making the playoffs on Raptor, 64% on ELO. And the Knicks had what, you know, in, in certain, only in some respects, but in certain respects, we thought was, you know, anomalous defense, you know, in the first part of the season. And since March 1st, it, the story is largely the same. And remember, Mitchell Robinson's missed a bunch of time. They have to go to go to some of these other some of these other things. They've also had Alfred Han- Alfred Payton and a few other guys out. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, you have it in the notes. I'm I'm angry too now. Um, but so since March first, Knicks third in clean the glass defensive rating, tied with the Lakers, kind of third fourth. Both those guys are there. But what's different is the shooting. The shooting luck has regressed a little bit to the mean. Um, so right now the Knicks are are eighth through twelfth in all four factors. So that's kind of so above average, but not ridiculously above average in all of them but then that kind of fuels the number three defense overall opponents are still missing threes 35 percent but not that far off the median especially when you compare to the full season and they're still doing a good job stopping opponents to the rim and when you think about you know new orleans Noel and some of the other guys that that isn't a huge surprise no, they've been fantastic there. Third in shooting percentage a lot at the rim since March 1st, and that's a, about what they've been over the whole season. And Nerland's Noel really is just one of the more difficult guys to score against at the rim. And he's he's very thin, but if you don't get into his body when you're in the air and knock him backwards or post him up, if you're just going to let him jump, you're not going to be able to dunk on him. You're not going to be able to finish. Like He is really causing problems. Miami, for example, th- that game that we did for the NBA, a cast on monday the whole game changed when he got in foul trouble and had to go out and with mitchell robinson out now with that foot issue they've gone to taj gibson and he hasn't been as effective he's still not a terrible player but he is, doesn't have the same impact as neuronsonella or mitchell robinson at the rim how has their offense been since march 1st Still not great. I mean, um, 24th, 24th since then, which is also what they've been for the season. And so that's a part of, you know, like, so their defense has been very good, but they're not scoring enough to push those leads and to, to kind of get some games out of reach. I think that was something you and I saw both in the Miami game before New Orleans got in foul trouble. And so it, you know, you do run into some kind of personnel stuff like uh, Jared Dubin and I actually talked about this a lot on, on Real GM Radio. It was kind of the later part of that. We talked about the Knicks is that uh, Julius Randle deserves a lot of credit for elevating the Knicks to the level that they have offensively, but their personnel is just challenging on that end. And so they have this, they have a lot of players that can help on the defensive end, but don't really space the floor. And that's created challenges for um, other guys on the team, including RJ. Yeah, they have this weird dichotomy between their starting lineup, which has generally been Alfred Payton, Reggie Bullock, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, and one of the centers. 
and their backup groups. And I know you and I have both been vocal that Emmanuel quickly should start because he's just so much better of a fit. And that's shown out in the numbers. Now, surprisingly, the numbers with Alfred Payton on the floor are not that bad overall. Negative 2.1 net rating, 109 on offense, kind of about where they are overall for the season. But if you just look at the that starting lineup versus the bench unit, with Alfred Payton on the floor, which I again will take as a proxy for that starting unit, they take 26.5% of their shots as threes. That is basically worst in the league type of level. And that's not all his fault, obviously, because they don't. Bullock is really the only guy who shoots threes with any kind of bomb. Randall has been much better as a shooter this year. And he'll start getting them up like the Detroit game where they just completely throttled the Pistons. He was five out of nine. So sometimes he'll kind of go on a jag, but those are more self-created rather than spacing the floor. And he's he deserves a ton of credit. He's added this step back to his right and that that ends up having to be taken a lot of times when they're late in the clock in the miami game for example he did take a bunch of those and actually was able to get some pretty good looks and uh, that just rimmed out he made one early and then missed a couple late uh but that 26 and a half percent of their shots is threes that's 8.6 percent less when Peyton is on the floor, but they also take 9% more of their shots at the rim. So they basically trade shots from three for shots at the rim and they're knocking heads on the offensive glass and basically just powering in with the likes of Randall and Barrett. So they're, from kind of an analytic perspective, they're not really taking worse shots with this Peyton group. Uh, Barrett, the numbers are pretty similar. He's also a proxy for that that first unit. Uh, since early in the season, he when he was racking up you know 40 minute games, he hasn't been playing as much. Uh, so, and in terms of the actual success rate from three, what percentage they shoot? That's about the same either way. But then with Emmanuel quickly on the floor, as you might guess, they shoot nine percent more of their shots as threes. So their backup units are kind of much more normal NBA units. Yeah, and. The personnel there has changed a little bit. Obviously, they had the Derrick Rose trade at midway-ish through the season. So we'll see where it goes for the Knicks. But they are they are in a very good position, not only because of how they have played, but also because of the way things are breaking around them. The Raptors and Bulls, you know, they haven't been to that level. The Pacers are still trying to find themselves. The Hornets are super injured. We'll talk about that soon enough. So they can get into that mix and and we'll see where they turn out in terms of record the knicks have one of the harder remaining schedules they're they have the fifth hardest overall um though they're out of that group where it's like really insane where the like the rockets are um so yeah i mean i'm i, I think they're i think they're gonna at least make the 10 and they could i wouldn't shock me at all if they if they were in the top eight but yeah i mean we'll, we'll see where it goes from here what, what did we give them like 15 percent chance of making the playoffs back something, when we did it something like that yeah that yeah. sounds about right Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us but let's jump to the milwaukee bucks the bucks are 32 and 17 11 and 4 since last 1560 fourth in net rating plus 6.3 sixth in offense ninth in defense projected to finish third in the east 47 so just behind the sixers and the nets they're going to make the playoffs and we'll talk about the injury stuff in a second but there's even where we have actual news to discuss first yeah absolutely drew holiday has signed the max extension as the agents like it to be reported at first but this is the maximum extension that he could have signed right now starting at 120 percent of prior salary now remember drew as we became so familiar with during their hard cap saga has a, a ton of incentives as well and you when you do a extension you have to have incentives that that remain the same and in the same proportion as they were before but the base salary as best we can determine it so we don't know exactly all those incentives many of them are based on winning such as making it to the conference finals to the finals uh 30 million to start next year so that's that maximum 20 percent raise he's making a little over 25 this year as a base salary and then the maximum eight percent possible raise so that takes you up to basically four year 135 million extension is reported as 160 million and that's uh from both incentives and some rounding up as well and lots of things to to talk about here what uh, you want to start with well i think it's notable that holiday in this extension like yes it is security and it is ahead of time you know never know where the rest of this season is going to go but this is less money than drew holiday could have signed for with another team had he become a free agent this summer and it you know so that was roughly for 169 based on where we think 169 million based on where we think the cap's gonna go nothing close to the five-year 228 that he could have theoretically gotten from the bucks using full bird right if, if that had happened. And that's good for Milwaukee, because especially with Drew Holiday playing as well as he is. Um, but to have him at $30 million for next year, it's you know, it's expensive. Their team is 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 unambiguously going to be expensive next year. But having him at about that level, it it makes certain things I don't think I don't, we'll see about retaining PJ Tucker, but like if if the idea is to be like a low level tax team. I think that having Holiday at thirty million as opposed to his full his full max makes a significant difference. Yeah, and that'll bump up a little bit depending on how well the Bucks do sure. this year and how many of those incentives are hit. But yeah, in terms of the starting salary, to have a thirty million dollar base salary instead of what projects to be thirty nine point four million. Remember, Drew Holiday has been around forever now. He's well into the ten plus. Yeah, he was year the max. youngest guy in the league when he was drafted. Right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and yeah, he could have gotten two hundred twenty eight million over five years or four for 169 from another team but it seems like this is kind of fait accompli when the trade was made and yeah holiday could have gotten 
more by waiting in theory but frankly the bucks probably don't give up as much as they do unless they kind of had a wink wink deal here now he was eligible he wasn't eligible to sign this until now and of course there was a the tweet was oh he's become familiar with the bucks and really feels comfortable there and you know maybe there's a possibility that this could have gone south in some way but the bucks have played well enough and they're really starting to be now drew himself is playing better he got really familiar with them over the minimum allowable time for the extended trade rules to no longer restrict (laughs) his extension it just so happens that those two things for the same amount of time yeah and normally remember that would be six months but due to this truncated schedule that trade took place in what would have normally been july and now we're kind of in mid what would normally be march or so now and credit the bucks they took some big risks but they got their guys they got Giannis under contract now they got drew holiday under contract yes this is his age 31 to 34 season and this uh, unless the new tv deal kicks in in a way that we don't necessarily anticipate this 24 25 the player option in the last year for 37 million that's probably not going to look very good and the bucks still have this problem of being older but and they had to overpay holiday for this period but uh, you say overpay but when you've got teams out there that would have loved to have had them with max cap space like maybe miami or toronto or i guess toronto wouldn't have max cap space anymore though uh or dallas miami or dallas for sure as potential suitors they obviously had to pony up this amount and they should probably frankly consider themselves lucky to have only had to pay this uh and they probably committed to this six months ago so this is kind of if you think about this deal happening six months ago it it makes more sense now for holiday uh, than it would right now when he's three months away from just being a free agent again and doesn't really have uh, an injury history in these last few years so uh, good for him to get paid he clearly wants to be in milwaukee and now we just find out whether these guys uh, are good enough but even if they're not this year they'll have there's no concern that a holiday could leave things could really go wrong they'll they'll have at least a couple of years run with this core now yeah so now Giannis Middleton Lopez holiday are all on fully guaranteed contracts no opt-outs or anything like that for this year next year and the season after then the first guy with anything is Middleton has an opt-out and then Brooke Lopez has the end of his contract in the summer of 2023 so that so really it, it does look at this moment like that will be the group DiVincenzo will get a raise before that assuming he's still around but outside of that this group could stay really stable and as you brought up like Drew Holiday is playing really well right now yeah he is um quickly before we get to that though just the the tax implications they still do have John Luer and Larry Sanders on the books for about five million in stretched money for next year so they are basically with this holiday number on there now they are right at and of course Giannis stepping up to the supermax they are basically right at the tax that's with no pj tucker and that's also only with eight players under contract so it would basically be and that's no bobby portis either uh no bryn forbes no thanasis on they're they're gonna have to bring him back uh, clearly so that is this is gonna be almost impossible for them to avoid paying the tax i know we said that this year uh but then uh, they're able to get out of it in the the tucker trade and they will not pay the tax this year which again with this group under contract for basically the next three years two years you're it would be nearly impossible to avoid paying the tax unless they just dumped somebody or stretched somebody uh, to make that happen and then drew is playing really well lately last 15 games 
24% usage. That's a big jump. That's probably the biggest thing that I've noticed more than even the really good percentages. Uh, he was under 20% usage uh, for most of the year until these last 15 games or so. 62% true shooting. Obviously, he was out with, with COVID and kind of getting his feet wet as well. 41% from three, also shooting extremely well from mid-range and floater range, well over 50% from both of those ranges during this period. So that's unsustainable. He's not going to keep shooting this well, but 5.7 assists per game, 5.3 threes per game for that 41 percent uh, or five three-point attempts per game for that 41 percent so good to see him being more aggressive because they do need uh, another perimeter creator and he's been that in these last 15 games on the health front pj tucker missed his sixth straight with a strained left calf you're the calf. Bobby Portis returned from the health and safety protocols on Friday, and then they sat Giannis on the second leg of a back-to-back and nearly lost to the Kings. They they did not. They ended up winning that game. And sadly, it was not a return of Point Thanasis, that crazy game uh, on in as about a week ago when Thanasis had 23-10-5 playing 37 minutes in a game. They narrowly lost against the Knicks when Giannis sat. Wasn't quite, wasn't that quite that sort of a performance. But Giannis did have that crazy huge performance where he had 47 against the Blazers. He was 18 of 18 on twos. His only misses were from three. Uh, But the most important thing even for Giannis to me is 75% from the line over the last two months. That is absolutely massive. That is a a big part of what can make him more viable in the playoffs. Not necessarily at the end of games as the creator, but he's just had some massive free throw misses in his career in the playoffs to have more confidence at the end of games. And we'll see. I mean, it's obviously psychological for him. He could lose it at any time. He's been a 70% free throw shooter in the past in his career and then he dropped down to what 63 percent last year but i mean just making that percentage of his free throws takes him into from being efficient to ultra efficient again we'll see if we'll see if he can get a third mvp um but let's jump to the miami heat the heat are over 500 they're 26 and 24 10 and 7 since the last 15 and 60 but they are below water in terms of net rating uh they're outscored by 0.6 0.6 per 100 possessions, 22nd in offense, still disappointing there. Uh, sixth in defense, though. And Heater projected to win 38, which would put them sixth in the East. Raptor thinks 94% chance of the playoffs. Elo, 82. Andre Guadalla didn't play on Saturday due to a sore left hip. He missed some time with that a few weeks ago. Uh, Oladipo, after missing a few games due to illness, he debuted. Uh, and, and something interesting, he was talking, I think it was Ira Winderman who tweeted this, but he talked, you know, he talked about this in availability. Oladipo has been dealing with one leg being stronger than the other, which has caused his balance to be off all season. And, I, and like, I've had fewer lower body injuries than you, but it seems like that makes sense to me that if you've been dealing with kind of like this quad issue like he's had, that your legs might be a little bit different strengths. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly troubling that that's the case 26 months after his injury now. That's right. But, I mean, that's not to imply that he's doing something wrong. It's just, I mean, when I tore my ACL and patellar tendon and meniscus, like, my right leg is just never going to be as strong. Like, that just happens. Like, you, you get a bunch of atrophy and... It just doesn't get back to being as strong, particularly if it happens when you're a little bit older. So uh, that makes some sense. And that said, though, he has really struggled uh, the stats in, in his first two games. Not great. No. They're not. Uh, Oladipo debuted against the Warriors. He had six points on two of eight from the field and then eight points on three of 13 from the field against the Cavs. And remember, this isn't like the version of the Cavs that was monstrous on defense. This is the one where Larry Nance 
Jared Allen are both out. So concerning. Let's put it, let's put it that way. Um, but you watched some of the film. How did it look? How did it look on video? Not amazing. Uh, some of it was just the normal getting to know you on the team. He threw a couple of passes that were just a little bit behind Bam Adebayo as the role man. Those are the types of things that you imagine will clean up with greater familiarity. But what stands out to me still two things, and I'm not sure if either of these are fixable, frankly, for this team. One of them is that he just really, really continues to struggle finishing at the rim. That's the biggest thing. His acceleration is not, it's not otherworldly the way it was before the injury, but it's still above average for an NBA two guard off the dribble. But he just cannot get off the ground and he has no real craft as a finisher he used to just blow by guys and that was even he's really only had one good year as a finisher that great 17 18 year and he was doing that with just unbelievable athleticism that he improved his touch a little bit but overall in his career he's never really been a great finisher at the rim and you mentioned the Cavs personnel we're talking about him trying to challenge Kevin Love at the rim and getting rejected trying to challenge Dean Wade if you've never seen Dean Wade play basketball he's kind of like an unathletic stretch four type of guy uh Dean Wade stopped him a couple times. Then he was able to blow by Okoro with no help at the rim, but Okoro blocked him from behind. Okoro's a good defensive player, but still, that is just not that amazing. The only time, the only two guys he's able to score on at the rim, one was James Wiseman, and the other one was Matthew Dellavedova. Both of those, interestingly, were on Euro steps where he kind of slowed down, used his craft, and stepped around the guy instead of just pell-mell trying to use his athleticism, which isn't as good. So that's one problem. The other problem, though is the three-point shooting and he's maneuvered more into kind of a set shot i think he picked that up more with all the time off due to the patellar tendon issue or i should say the quad tendon issue but the heat want guys to be really aggressive from three and so he the way that he shoots it he can't really shoot it on the move and he hasn't been good shooting it off the dribble either and then he can get him some open spot up looks which we're not going to be very available in houston and hopefully he can make those even those were not really going down for him but the heater like yeah be more aggressive shoot it on the move and he's just not that level of shooter he's not duncan robinson or tyler hero or wayne ellington from a past vintage or goran dragic he just uh, does not shoot it that way and so uh, you mentioned the stats he's five out of 21 and he the problem is that victor oladipo just with what he sees himself as he will shoot you out of games and the heat have already been a, a struggling offense 22nd overall on the season as you mentioned and I just don't think that Victor Oladipo is necessarily the panacea and we'll see whether he ever even ends up being better than Kendrick Nunn you know I didn't get a chance to watch his defense that closely so that'll be something else to see but you know the Heat have a pretty good defense like I think they could especially now that they have Ariza I think they can be really good defensively it's just going to be a question of finding a, enough offense and maybe they can use Oladipo to just soak up some reps and with none out with a sprained ankle they can give Dragic some time to get healthy but I don't I, I don't think that Victor Oladipo is going to be their primary perimeter option in the playoffs and if he is I don't think it's going to go too well and as weird as it sounds what has happened so far very preliminarily not making too much off of two games is actually part of why I was enthusiastically supporting this trade for Miami is just better to understand what he would be with you and how it all kind of meshes even if you say that it's not a fully representative sample he's not 
not getting an offseason, not really getting practices because the teams are playing so much. Better to know it now than to wonder about it and potentially, you know, be more, be a different kind of intrigued with Oladipo in the offseason. So even if it doesn't work out, I think that it makes some sense. And yeah, you could argue Miami made the finals last year. Maybe they're, maybe he narrows their window, but I don't think, especially with the opportunity cost being as low as it was, they didn't give up a ton to make the trade happen. We can go. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. From Oladipo's current team to one of his prior teams, uh, the Indiana Pacers, they are 22 and 26 on the season, uh, seven and nine since the last 15 and 60. They're a little bit below water, 18th in net rating, 18th in offense, 10th in defense. Uh, 538 projects them to finish eighth in the East with 35 wins and less sanguine on them, enthusiastic about them making the, making the playoffs. So defining that as the t- as the eight teams in 58% Raptor, 66% Elo. Malcolm Brogdon has missed the last two due to right hip issues. Sabonis missed his first game of the season on Saturday with a sprained left ankle. So he had left Friday's game early with a quad contusion, returned and suffered an ankle sprain. Um, and Jeremy Lamb has missed three straight due to a sprained toe in his right foot. And the game I watched for them was actually um, against Miami, a game that Indiana lost, but I thought they looked more like themselves at, and kind of random good fortune that I didn't see them in the games that, that Sabo- the game that Sabonis missed. But they had this nice run, starters versus starters against Miami in the third quarter, but then Miami ended up taking control in the late third and the and the fourth. But it was some of those glimpses which have been a little bit harder to see during this stretch of like, oh yeah, the, there, there's a there's a good team in here, even though TJ Warren not coming back does take some wind out of their sails. Yeah, they had that nice win at Phoenix uh, as well that kind of made me more optimistic about them. Uh, when you say they looked like themselves, can you uh, elaborate on that? Sure. I, I thought that the, the offense, the ball was pinging relatively well. Miles uh, Turner defensively was incredibly disruptive against Miami. And the some of the bench units looked good. I mean, there were, I think there were some good McConnell minutes and some less good McConnell minutes. But the like the the different kind of theories of you have the the Sabonis McConnell McDermott stretch and you have the starting five and the start I thought the starting five looked good I thought that they did well offensively defensively they were generating better shots than I expected against Miami they didn't all go in but but yeah it was the the idea that they could that they could get good things out of the attention that Sabonis generates and Turner actually had a beautiful so there, there were a couple plays where again my one of my criticisms of Bam is that he's better in a one on one capacity 
capacity than in help capacity. So you have to put Bam only on one of the two bigs, and they were putting him on Sabonis, which makes total sense. Sabonis was spacing a little bit, and so that led to Miles Turner driving on Trevor Reza. Had one just straight line drive past him, and another one that was a little bit more loping, but he was getting the basket, and there just wasn't any help there. And so it was it was fun to see the Pacers take advantage of a team that didn't have another real good help defender in some of those configurations. And yeah, I, I enjoyed all of that stuff. Yeah, they had a nice win in OT against the Spurs over the weekend, doing that without uh, Sabonis. Jakar Sampson came in. Goga Batadze has been starting to give them a little bit more, where he's been giving them quality-ish backup center minutes, where he just looked completely overwhelmed last year. His, his shooting is still not where you hope it's going to be, but at least he's not just flubbing passes all the time out of bounds. He can finish a little bit. Uh, he also protects the rim pretty well. The funny thing about that game against the Spurs is usually it's the the Spurs bench that kills people but it was the Pacers bench killing the Spurs good to see Aaron Holiday getting going again he was a, a game high plus 23 18 points in only 22 minutes playing in that backup guard role really more off the ball playing with TJ McConnell a fair amount and uh Keelan Martin was a, a big hero you might remember him as being on a two-way last year with the Wolves he was three or four from downtown everyone was really happy for him and they've also been starting uh, Edmund Sumner uh, of late uh, what does he look like yeah it's been I, I would say it's the best year of Sumner's pro career um this is his fourth season and age 25 year so he's, he's been around a little bit longer than you think Sumner making 38% of his threes 57% of his twos be very happy with both those the challenge is that it's a low volume he's not not a big part of the offense in terms of scoring or distributing which is fine because they have other people to do that but you know 18% usage not really assisting a ton and so like uh, yeah he's shooting 38% on threes but that's 20 of 53 on the entire season Sumner's played about 500 minutes a little bit below there right now and he ha- they have a 2.3 million dollar team option on him for next year feels like they're going to pick it up and Sumner I I think of him as you know being best at the two and this team now that they have Karis LeVert and Jeremy Lamb I think of both those guys as best better at the two but having a capable rotation player which is I think the best role for Sumner having that level of player at 2 million got to be happy with it as a team that is going to be really close to the tax and probably wants to know that they can trust a guy who they're giving a roster spot and a guarantee contract to yeah and they won't be able to make him a restricted eight free agent next year because uh, this is his fourth year already remember he spent the his first year basically not playing in the g league because he was coming off the tourney i want to say he was the 54th overall pick whatever 52nd very Thank close you. <laughs> uh karis levert the overall stats not too great 49 percent true shooting 24 usage still uh, has only been above 55 percent true shooting once in his career so and that kind of seven points below league average but he does do some things for this Pacers team think of it as kind of a Donovan Mitchell light role for them where he takes most of the difficult shots that need to be taken and in pick and roll he's been very effective hilariously he only has four points on 20 possessions in isolation which is pretty interesting that was one of the things that looked really good for him going back to the 2019 playoffs against Philly so it seems like when teams go into a conventional pick and roll defense that's where he's able to work into the lane get a little bit better of shots but small samples here obviously but he does fill that role as a shot creator I, I was hoping that they could get going a little bit more than this once they got Levert back to only be seven and nine uh, in their last 16 not all of those uh, has Levert played in of course let's move on to the Detroit Pistons 13 and 35 4 and 11 since the last 15 and 60 and the Pistons has actually been playing 
well above their record. They'd been one of the more unlucky teams, and they also had one of the harder schedules in the league, and so you thought maybe they'd start playing better, but not really. Uh, they're 25th on offense, 15th on defense. That's the, they and the Magic, really, that's how they, to the extent those teams have exceeded expectations given the available personnel, that's how they've done it. But they still project for 22 wins, which is last in the conference, won't be making the playoffs, and the available personnel is starting to, they've gone with the youth movement now. So uh, they've had some pretty ugly losses like uh, against the Knicks where they lost by, oh, 44 points yesterday, uh, Saturday. But uh, what have we seen from these guys uh, injury-wise? Well, so the exciting news is that Killian Hayes is back. Uh, Hayes had that bad injury. We thought he was going to be out for the whole year. He returned Saturday and played 20 minutes off the bench in that blowout loss to the Knicks. Saban Lee started at point guard. So they'll work Killian Hayes back slowly, but also in terms of the youth movement, starting two rookies at point or playing two rookies at point guard, that is always going to lead challenges. And when they traded Derrick Rose, it was a clear signal that the Pistons were going in that direction. On the injury front, Julie Lokafor, uh, he had meniscus surgery. He should be back soon, but with Isaiah Stewart really stepping into a clear role at center and Mason Plumlee being the starter, it doesn't seem like Jaw's going to have a lot of a lot of opportunity the remainder of the season in Detroit. Yeah, well, uh, fortunately, uh, Marvin Bagley the second will be looking to sign him in the, in the offseason. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Killian Hayes is back. We, we mentioned that. Uh, Saban Lee, I liked him to Ish Smith. TJ McConnell was another comparison that I had just with the level of energy pushing the ball that he brings but he also kind of lee eyes the game because he doesn't shoot the ball from three at all Uh, for the season he is shooting 54 percent from three uh but that is seven out of 13 (laughs) for the whole in 438 minutes so yeah for for if if you want that context that's one three per 36 minutes yes yes and he's not even a good free throw shooter either 66 percent so that's clearly some of the things that that he's going to work on but he'll push the pace i I think he he obviously with that lack of shooting ability at shooting 47 percent from two he's going to need to at least figure out a mid-ranger to be even more effective as a backup point guard hamadou diallo made it back he'd been out with a groin injury when he was traded uh and his overall stats eh, not bad so far yeah i mean 14 and a half points five and a half rebounds per game and four with the pistons diallo is coming off the bench but he's playing 24 minutes per game and he is going to get opportunities especially under Weaver, who it seems like really likes him, but also because Hamadou Diallo is a pending restricted free agent and he was injured when they got him mid-season. So this front office doesn't have a lot of time to evaluate him. No, and maybe Troy Weaver has already made his evaluation because he, he knew him very well uh, from, from OKC and he did trade for him. Also, it's uh, interesting that Lee started. They've got Killian Hayes and Corey Joseph uh, did play, but it, and Dennis Smith Jr. also played, and Frank Jackson also played. That was a 44-point blowout. It'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out, uh, but with Hayes back, you imagine Smith Jr. is going to have some of his minutes cut, and Joseph, it, you know, it doesn't really make a ton of sense to play him. I guess they traded for him and they haven't bought him out because they want to just have him around for next year, uh, So, uh, or maybe he can be matching salary in a trade 
But back to Hamadou Diallo, where he's been most effective has been driving off of closeouts. Think of him as kind of a mini Zion Williamson, just because he's so athletic getting to the basket, where, yeah, he's not a great shooter. He's, it looks a little hitchy. He hit a couple in garbage time against the Knicks, but he's not getting a, that shot off quickly. When he misses, His some of his misses are really bad. The more I watch shooters, I, I try to focus on that a lot, too, when you just have these inconsistent left-right misses that are just you know way off the heel of the rim or airballing. He, he had plenty of those already in his time with, with the Pistons. But the thing that's been really nice about him from OKC this year and then this year in Detroit, it's continued, is his ball handling looks really good. He'll even break out a couple of like kind of hot dog dribble moves that'll surprise you. Um, and if you're not in front of him when he catches the ball, the Zion comparison, he can drive and he can make you pay with, with a spectacular finish. Interesting that the Pistons recently employed a player who I think is somewhat similar to Diallo, although not as athletic, but probably a, a better shooter and passer. And that's uh, Bruce Brown, whom they traded away. Uh, I would say he's also not as good defensively, not quite as intense, but again, way more athletic. And uh, I, I think if they they ever get some more spacing on this team you know maybe if isaiah stewart becomes more of a three-point shooter then maybe he can kind of play that bruce brown two-man sized but play almost like a center as a role man type uh at one point against the knicks they uh, sadiq bay i think got into foul trouble and with like seven minutes left in the first they had a unit of lee josh jackson diallo jeremy grant and Plumley. so that was uh not a lot of shooting yeah that, that is that is not a spacing heavy unit uh to be sure and and for the pistons i mean that there is this weird challenge with the way that trey weaver has has kind of put things together preliminarily and you could think about this v for diallo trade as a part of this or you know but also this is a team in progress is that they have a lot of players that i think would make sense like that are that aren't necessarily bad players but just you need more around them and we'll see if they can actually get that and so you know Sadiq Bey has been a player that I think can fit some of that description depending on where they go at center but like Josh Jackson and Diallo in particular like I don't I don't like those guys playing together so where it could end up going in a lot of different directions it's not like they had a huge like a huge asset cost to get Diallo or you know to sign Jackson with the room exception but at a certain point you're gonna have to figure that out especially if Killian Hayes has limitations as a shooter other big news Danny Dravidas Servitas has played in four of the last five games all of which were blots one was that ridiculous win over Washington and the other uh have been blowout losses but he actually scored his first three baskets of the season he's got played 22 minutes and he has made three three-pointers he's three out of ten from the field very important stuff there and uh let's move to the 17 and 32 Cleveland Cavaliers like the Pistons 4 and 11 since the last 15 and 60 negative 9.0 net rating that is dead ass last in the NBA 30th on offense that is dead ass last in the NBA 104.7 24th on defense they project for 24 wins oh, just slightly Cavs over baby 14th in the conference won't be making the playoffs what we got here it is wild that they are number two in win differential so meaning they're outperforming their point differential by the second most in the league and are 17 and 32 um they've just I mean, and some of that was the horrendous stretch when sexland and delvadova were all out um yeah, they're but, seven and twenty-one in their last twenty-eight games. Yeah, and, and uh, the good news is that both Love and Del Vadova returned on Thursday, and then also played on Saturday. So like those, it's not like they're on some some real patient thing. But Jared Allen is still in the concussion protocols, and Larry Nance is out due to illness. 
Yeah, I'd speculated maybe that Nance uh, was uh, just gotten the vaccine or something, but uh, he's now missed a, a few games. Hopefully, that's not related to his Crohn's disease, uh, which he has been uh, an uh, an outstanding advocate for in his career. Um, but let's uh, let's talk about some of these guys uh, who you look at as uh, really the key young core of the Cavs. Hollinger and I got asked about him, uh, or got asked about the Cavs, I should say, on our chat and the guy's a Cavs fan he's pretty excited about uh, some of the young players and and John and I were like eh you know they we still don't necessarily see that future all-star or future all-NBA player with this group would you uh, agree with that assessment yes yeah I absolutely would and this is not meant to be you know like you and I will do kind of young guy scouts later in the year and we're not gonna do that this is just like kind of a check-in on where those guys are start with Sexton I think Colin Colin Sexton you know, he's having the best best season so far of his young career in terms of counting stats and efficiency. 57% true shooting on 29% usage, um, plus 5.7 assists per 100 possessions. All of those are career highs. And an important part of Sexton becoming more efficient. I kind of, you could think of, I always think of these as two elements that young guards have to do to get better, unless you're Jalen Brunson, who apparently is ridiculous at one of these. Um, getting to the line more, that's been a big improvement for Sexton, and making more of your twos. So typically that higher proportion and higher success rate around the basket it can be better from mid-range but usually around the basket stuff is more sustainable i'm a little bit concerned because sexton is making 46 percent from floater range that feels really unsustainable to me and like when i watch the Cavs, i don't think of him as this like preternatural floater guy um and something i thought was really fascinating with sexton is um his three pointers this year are more self-created than last year and they've the percentage has gone down that's generally something that happens but sexton his twos are actually less self-created than last year. So I don't know if that's a beeline Bickerstaff difference, having Darius Garland more available, some of those things. But remember, Kevin Love has been less available. So I wonder where that's going to go for, for Sexton. Yeah, they, they run a bunch of offense out of Larry Nance and, and Drummond when he was there trying to do more handoff stuff. So, you know, it's interesting of like, if you do a handoff and the guy drives in the lane, does that get counted as an assist or not? Or, or is he coming off a handoff, taking a dribble and pulling up? Does that counts as as assist where a pick and roll wouldn't you know the, the, i wouldn't see that as like a huge difference for a guard in terms of assisted twos like that's probably really more just kind of a handoff pick and roll difference if i had to guess i mean maybe if he's getting more uh, on cuts uh, as well that that could be part of that but i still with the way that sexton has shown that he can shoot at times garland who we'll talk about is that 39% from three. These guys just aren't getting enough threes up. I mean, per 36 minutes, it's particularly Garland because that's that's got to be like what he does when he's shooting 46% from two. And you know, maybe with Kevin Love there, that'll help a little bit more. And they don't have a lot of other threats uh, out there. They are 30th in offense, but these guys do kind of need to be bombing away a little bit more both those guys and uh, the Cavs as a team despite the fact that they're shooting 33% from three as a team which is uh, not so good either yeah and one of the concerning things for the Cavs is that we'll get into Garland in a second is that you, know, you could see that that offensive struggle you could see that as like oh you know they've been they've had all these brutal health luck and everything else and that's all true um but when those two players when Sexland when they've been on the floor together 107 offensive rating and while that was much better at a different point in time that is not particularly ridiculous right now um but switching to Garland 
I think he's made a step forward this year, um, but there's still a lot more for him to make in order to be a productive player. You said the 39% on threes, 4.7 per 36 is not nearly enough for nope. me. But also, Garland, the challenge for him compared to Sexton, some of this is the athleticism stuff, is it he, he doesn't do other things efficiently. Garland does not get to the line, shooting 46% on twos. Has improved there, again, like everything else. But so the overall number is 53% true shooting, 24% usage, um, and then 8.6 assists per 100 possessions. Yeah, and Garland, he'll show some flashes every once in a while with his dribbling. He'll throw passes between guys' legs. Like he, he has, he will make the spectacular play on occasion. And they've been so messed up by injuries. They also, worth noting, have easily, I would say, the worst offensive wing play in the league. Jetty Osman has been probably one of the most damaging offensive offensive players in the nba 20 percent usage and 47 percent true shooting for a guy who's Yeesh. should be playing off the ball like that one kind of had flown under the radar for me and he's fourth on the team in minutes he's played 1100 minutes for these guys and okoro he's gets to the basket a, a little bit but uh i guess we could talk about him next next year but he obviously is not an offensive positive at this point in his career either no he hasn't been and so the overall numbers for okoro so he started the 44 games he's played in and 51 percent true shooting isn't great but it's not terrible 12.7 percent usage is terrible like that's that's such a small part within an offense and not assisting a lot you know 2.7 per hundred possessions and the good news for Okoro, you could argue, you know, shooting 50% from twos as a skinny rookie wing isn't terrible, but 30% on 3.13s per 36 minutes is, like, that is that is a definite concern. And Isaac Okoro has an insane Moneyball-style shot chart. He's only, he's only attempted five mid-rangers all season. He has missed all five of those mid-rangers. Um, he's only taken 40 floater shots from non-paint restricted area, and but then 59% in the restricted area in the restricted area. So yeah, I, I think that Okoro, like we've we talked at other times, like when we've watched their games about the defensive flashes, he's really shown some stuff there. But part of why you and I were a little bit more skeptical about his fit on a successful team is just what is he going to be offensively? And that part hasn't really shown a ton to me other than some stuff in transition. No, I agree with you. And uh, before we finish up on them, Torian Prince is uh, 49% true shooting, another one of their wing options. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, so the Bulls played the Nets today. Bulls finally get off the schneid after the trade deadline. Chicago is 20 and 28, but 5 and 11 since the last 15 and 60. They're in the midst of a stretch with 9 of 10 on the road. 20th in net rating is negative 1.5. 15th on offense. That's been sinking like a stone since the trade deadline. They'd been shooting coming into today only 26% from three, which obviously was going to get better. But Zach Levine had missed some time with an ankle issue. Uh, and it, he actually looked pretty good today. We'll talk more about that. Uh, and 23rd on defense, 114, projecting for 29 wins. That's 11th in the conference. That would not make the play-in. And right about 9% chance of making the playoffs by both. 538 projection systems. Garrett Temple still out for them with the right hamstring train. But as mentioned, Levine returned. Uh, and it, he had some nice drives uh, as well. So uh, we'll work Brooklyn in here as well. We'll get to their stats uh, in a second. But this will 
We'll note that in this game today on, on Sunday, James Harden didn't play right hamstring tightness. Steve Nash did say that if it were a playoff game, he probably would have played. KD closing in on a return per Shams. Uh, he said that uh, on April Fool's Day. He was being serious, I, I assume. Uh, and so Kyrie Irving was the only star. And I, I, I want to start there for Brooklyn because, the, which also I thought was really interesting, they started LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin along with Bruce Brown at the two who got the Keith Bogans and and Joe Harris at the three. So much, much different look than they've had so far. Uh, Kobe White was out for the Bulls uh, due to a possible false test with COVID protocols. Tyler Johnson suffered a potentially ugly looking in injury, just non-contact went down. They called it a right knee strain. Uh, but to me, we got another look at what an offense can look like with Kyrie Irving as the lone star and it, it was it's kind of feast or famine with him I would say yeah Irving 24 points on 27 shooting possessions and one of the incredible stats about this game Sunday which the Bulls won 115-107 the Nets starting lineup took one free throw in the entire game Kyrie Irving was not that one free throw that was Blake Griffin so he was 12 to 27 from the field did have 15 assists but yeah, I, I thought that the like like in the parts that I watched the uh, the offense just it, it wasn't it wasn't all the way there in the way like when we've seen Harden alone like it's it's really popped. I mean the chemistry that he has with DeAndre and numerous other things. Yeah, and Kyrie, I know he had the 15 assists, but that might even be a career high for him. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. But it didn't, and some of that came in garbage time late. Like he started seven to 21 and then made five of of his last six trying to bring him back, but didn't hit a three. He was 0 for four, and finally what it looked better in the fourth. Was he actually started getting into the lane and finishing a little bit more and he set up some nice alley-oops as well one concerning aspect of this game if you are a Nets watcher is LaMarcus Aldridge 26 minutes Blake Griffin 22 minutes Jeff Green 25 minutes Nick Claxton eight minutes and he was he was plus two in that he didn't really do anything that was too great actually Zach Levine had a couple of really nice drives at his expense and we've seen that Claxton has done a pretty good job of shutting guys down in the perimeter, but the Nets weren't switching. They were playing a more conventional pick and roll defense style, and they also had some problems with Nikola Vucevic, who was awesome in this game. But but back to Irving, those 15 assists weren't like you know setting up a ton of threes. That was the other thing too. The Nets ended up 11 to 28 from three, but really just did not have it going in the first three quarters. Jeff Green again hit a bunch of threes in the fourth when they're I mean they were down. 17 at the start of the fourth and they got they never got closer than eight so it wasn't really where it actually got close um so Irving you know was distributing a little bit better in the fourth but overall if he's your lead guy basically like he has to shoot well for your offense to be good and he doesn't really get to the foul line either if he's not making his jump shot then then he doesn't get to the rim enough where he can kind of make up for it not for not making the jump shot and he's not drawing the defense like crazy and like kicking out for threes the way Harden does. Like Harden can go seven to twenty-four, but he's still setting up a ton of threes for your team, and your offense can still look good. I don't know that Irving has that capability. And when you look at it over the course of the season, the numbers for Kyrie without Harden and Durant have been strong, but it's not a huge sample. And also, they've shot insanely well during that stretch. So Brooklyn in the Kyrie only minutes, 
they're shooting 43% on threes. So if you regress that to the mean a little bit, some of the things, like, it's crazy. They have a 131 offensive rating, but when you watch, like, for me, the process parts of it, it doesn't look quite that good. Yeah, and by the way, I apologize for saying Bruce Brown got the Keith Bogans. That, that was not true, maybe just because they're playing in Chicago. I, I was channeling Keith Bogans. They actually played 30 minutes in this one. And Well, and yeah. sorry, one other important part of that, I, I don't know if there's a larger story that I just never heard, but not only did Klaxon only play eight minutes, DeAndre Jordan didn't play at all. Yeah, that is interesting. And was it was that I, I believe it's a healthy scratch. Like I haven't seen him on an injury report anytime recently. And I didn't he wasn't on it today. Yeah, and, and I thought it was also interesting that Steve Nash afterwards said, Hey, we tried the big lineup and I didn't really like it. So that we'll see whether that means that changes uh, are coming. They did try to go to Jeff Green as they at center as they're attempting to get back into it in the second half. And Green was awesome uh, with twenty one points, uh, four of six from downtown and uh three of the nets uh six free throw <laughs> free throw makes um well yeah. let's, let's get to brooklyn stats though before i forget yeah. um 34 and 16 on the season 12 and 3 since the last 15 16 when you consider kevin durant hasn't been part of any of that super impressive fifth in net rating plus 5.3 second in offense 25th in defense projected to tie with the sixers for the top record in the eastern conference and of course they're making the playoffs yeah, uh, uh, and we'll see how it looks when KD gets back and Harden, obviously, Harden missed time with that next strain also. A couple other Brooklyn notes before we get into the Bulls. One set that I did like from Brooklyn is they'll throw it to the center at the top of the key back to goal and out of a two-guard front, and then they'll have one guard Irving actually was very good as a screener in this game set a screen usually it'll either be Joe Harris or Shamit so they can get that guy going to his right he'll be on the left side of the the two guard front so he'll they throw it to the center then they'll kind of screen away with one guard for the other guard but if you switch that then the guard setting the screen is going to have inside position and then he can roll to the basket because it's all taking place further out on the floor from where the center is so you have a good passing angle so it's it's kind of like a new split cut type of thing but I think it's actually a little bit harder to defend up top because it's harder to bring help uh, on any kind of back doors. Uh, so I, I really like that set a lot. That was something that they were trying to run. They couldn't get a lot of threes, neither could the Bulls in this game. There was a, a lot of switching that went on. Uh, Kyrie did not have a good defensive game in this one. Uh, some missed help responsibilities. Uh, his guy, Thomas Sadoransky, went off for 19 points and 11 assists uh, on 8 out of 10. And let me see if I got any other Nets notes before I get to the Bulls. Yeah, the Nets tried to get Blake Griffin going in the post uh, against Thaddeus Young. He actually had a couple of nice plays, uh, just backing straight down. They've been using him a little bit more as a roll man also. Uh, LaMarcus... Only took one three. It was one out of one. They didn't really go to LaMarcus much in the post against Vucevic, though. But it was a very LaMarcus stat line with the 11 points on 10 shooting possessions and one assist. That He had five assists in the first half of his first game, and that didn't take place. He had a couple of decent moments playing defense in conventional pick-and-roll defense. Looked a little bit better there than he did in San Antonio. Remember, he was dealing with some hip issues in San Antonio as well. But it's just going to be, when they get KD and Harden back, it's going to be so fascinating to see how Steve Nash apportions the minutes. But so let's get to the Bulls. Yeah. Unless, unless I skip something, we haven't had much of an opportunity yet because of injuries to see Levine and Vooch together. How did it look to you? You know, I I thought it looked pretty good. Uh, Vooch was probably the best player on the floor for a, a lot of this game. He had 
plus 12, 22 points, 10 of 17 from the field, one of four from three. But whenever he even gets the slightest opening, he's jacking it from three. And the Nets didn't switch all the time in this game, but they did a lot of it. And I thought the Bulls did a pretty darn good job of taking advantage of that. They're only eight out of 22 from three. The Nets were just not going to help. And so we saw Lowry Markkinen, for example, he was only three out of six. He's playing more as a three. Sometimes it's a four, but all three of his buckets actually were post-ups where he just physically dominated the guy who was on him and went right to the rim. That's what I really appreciated about the Bulls offensive approach was when they got these switches they weren't going to like the turnaround fadeaway they were just putting their guy in the basket getting right to the front of the rim and the Nets uh, help defense was pretty poor in that regard they also got to the foul line a ton particularly as they surged out to a lead outscoring the Nets 32 to 18 in the second the Nets got into the bonus early and the Bulls not really a huge free throw team uh, Zach Levine was able to attack one-on-one and get to the line that Young was able to they got had a bunch of non-shooting fouls the in the bonus that ended up being free throws as well so this this is the first game that i think the bulls offense has looked the way that they wanted it to look uh, since they got vooch and i mentioned that the nets help was pretty poor on some of these one-on-one plays well a big part of that is nikola vucevic uh, spacing the floor out yeah, it really is. And, and Sadoransky had a nice game, 19 and 11 on an extremely efficient yeah. night. It hit Bulls a bunch also- of mid-rangers, actually, it late in the second quarter uh, as they were going under on him, and he just got right to the elbow and, and shot those, hit a couple of threes well, uh, as well. And something that's interesting, you talked about how this was a very switch-heavy game. Sometimes that leads to, you know, that leads to some of these weird offensive performances. And like in this one, the two teams combined for 14 turnovers. Because you're just not, that's not what a switch defense is designed to, I mean, certain teams can do it in a way that it does, but generally it's, you know, trying to, trying to force these matchups and slow down the offense rather than trying to end possessions by turnovers. Yeah. And that's uh, the Bulls nine turnovers. Again, you mentioned that the the Nets are not a big turnover forcing team and adding Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge to the starting lineup uh, is probably not going to help you too much there. Uh, And then the Bulls, they don't force any turnovers either. I mean, they're going to be like the magic now with uh, Vucevic. They're going to be in a drop coverage all the time I, I thought that the nets did a pretty poor job uh with irving taking advantage of vucevic i think irving could have got more threes up for example um but for the bulls to only turn it over nine times i think that the last two games actually they've had 10 or fewer turnovers that's huge to be able to run stuff through vucevic and Sadoransky as well is a competent caretaker they got Sadoransky in pick and roll more often really probably more than I've ever seen in his career to get to those 11 assists and he's very capable as a pick and roll player yeah he just hasn't ever been put in that role I mean he's got some if his career had gone another way we might think of him the way we think of like Ricky Rubio as a pick and roll guy at the international level he's looked pretty good there so uh encouraging for the bulls this obviously was not even close to the Nets' real team and it was sort of an experimental this is really the first game that they played this way might be the last game that the nets play this way yeah that that's a very good point Uh reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil Anything else in this one or you want to move on? Yeah, why don't we get to uh, the Celtics and the Hornets here. They played uh, today. What are the fundamentals on the Charlotte Hornets? 
Charlotte's still over 500, 25 and 24 overall, 10 and 7 since the last 1560, but they are negative 1.7 in net rating, 21st, uh, 17th in offense, 18th in defense, 538 projects they'll win 36 games, which is 7th in the East. Raptor thinks 68% chance of making playoffs, ELO 82. Part of why Raptor is less enthusiastic than ELO is because Raptor has a better idea of who is now absent for the Hornets. They really are the walking wounded. Beyond Lamelo already being out after his wrist surgery, Gordon Hayward sprained his foot. He's going to be reevaluated in four weeks. So remember, that's a reevaluation, not a return. So, you know, he, hopefully he's not out for the whole season, but he's going to be out for a whole large portion of it. Yeah, I mean, I think of all the foot injuries that Hayward has had too. There was the ankle. Is Is this the same one that he hurt back in 2017? Yeah, this is a right foot sprain. And no, that was the, his horrifying injury was left. Okay. Was his left ankle. Yeah, and I, I can't remember which one he had the severe ankle sprain on last year. I want to say that it was the it was the opposite one last year. So this is probably this is the same one he had that bad ankle that, sprain on in the, in the bubble. Yeah, this is this is the same. So the one he had in in last season was right. So that is the same as this one and different from the really bad injury in eight, was that eighteen? Uh, the first day of the seventeen eighteen season. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and Malik Monk is still out two weeks with uh, a bad right ankle sprain as well. And you mentioned LaMelo. Uh, what do you think this just means overall for them in the playoff chase here? Uh, and do they have any chance of continuing their insane performance in close games? I mean, the close games thing is is going to be a fascinating study. But in terms of the talent, it's getting thin now. And also, I mean, you think about how this season has gone, that the, this is a continuing war of attrition. This is not a over war of attrition, unfortunately, for any team, but especially the Hornets. They're starting Graham, Rozier, Bridges, Washington, Biombo, and then have Zeller, the Martin Twins, Wanamaker, and uh, McDaniels as their main bench guys. Like, that's not bad. Like, if you can kind of keep that group together, I like the bench more than the starters relative to opposition. You know, like, not saying the starters are worse than the bench or anything silly like that. But especially if anybody misses time, if any anybody gets in foul trouble it gets it gets thin really really quickly and something that i find fascinating about the hornets beyond the clutch thing which we're talking about is like you can kind of game this out both ways so the, the hornets are extremely injured right now and they have a much more challenging april than may in their schedule so one interpretation of that is oh, well, that'll be really bad. They're, you know, they're over 500 now. They'll fall, they'll fall, they could fall pretty far pretty quickly. I mean, they have a couple of, couple of wins they should absolutely get. But outside of that, it could get, could get hard. But the other part of it is, yeah, that's true. But maybe if you were going to lose a fair amount of those games anyway, you know, they play the Bucks twice in April. They play the Celtics, I think, twice in April. Um, If you were going to lose those games anyway, better to kind of knock them out and then you can get guys, hopefully get a couple of guys back and then go on a run through weaker teams that might be resting some of their guys and set yourself up to potentially get a better seat. So you could you could game it out either way. It kind of depends on how your team handles their opposition. But I think I mean, I don't expect them to have a top six record, but I do think they'll at least be top 10 and very decent chance that they're top eight. Yeah, so let's get into this game against Boston. Their starters, Graham Rozier, Miles Bridges at the three, where he's played largely at the four so far this year. PJ Washington at the four and Biombo at the five. And then you had Zeller, the Martin Twins, Wanamaker, and Jalen McDaniels. And yes, yeah, so they're basically, you know, a lot of these bench guys are starting now. And now you've got really fringe guys as you're bench although the starters did not play well 
either. And so this is a team that's been a, a really good shooting team. They have incredible perimeter depth, but now three of their five perimeter guys uh, are out. They had to bring in Brad Wanamaker, uh, who I, they're happy to have him, but now he's got to do more from a creation standpoint than I think is really optimal, as he did on that Warriors second unit. And this game against the Celtics, they just really struggled to score. I think they they had 43 points at halftime, and it was, they were down 28 at the end of the third. The Celtics were very content to switch everything. They didn't think that there was anyone on Charlotte who could beat them one-on-one, -on -one, and so they went to Miles Bridges in the post, P.J. Washington in the post. Another problem that they have, being so light on the perimeter now, is it's really hard for them to go P.J. Washington at center the way they have uh, on some of their bench units and the way they've even closed some games. Cody Zeller was good in this game. He got on the offensive glass, played hard, but he can only play so many minutes and he's not someone that you can put in the starting lineup and so their pick and roll game was not great then boston went to trapping the pick and roll later they forced a ton of charlotte turnovers and they just don't have guys who are able to do much uh, attacking the basket. Rozier has gotten better there. I was impressed by him doing more on the ball in this game, but Graham is a famously poor two-point shooter, and so they can't really beat a switch even when they're double-teaming on the ball. Then you've got Biombo rolling to the rim, and they're able to get him the ball right at the rim, and he, they would just foul him as the help was a little bit late from the Celtics. I didn't even think that the Celtics like played that hard in this game, frankly. Uh, but <laughs> they just they just out they out talented, and yeah. and they had the personnel. I mean, you brought up the idea like when when you switch i mean this is an extreme version of what we've talked about with the utah jazz before it's like one of the ideas of switching is that these guys they, they that their best matchup still isn't that dangerous for you and i thought that was really true in this game yeah and hopefully this isn't going to be a preview of what we're going to see from charlotte boston is a good team uh and i thought charlotte played really hard biombo cody zeller on the offensive glass they stayed in it to the extent that they did with hard transition attacks but the other problem for the Charlotte team is that they give up a ton of threes. Now, maybe that's a formula for them to stay in some games. They gave up 54 three-point attempts in this game, and, and uh, I think they have the largest uh, three-point attempt rate by opponents in the league. If not, it's right up there. And the Celtics were 21 out of 54, but they uh, began 21 out of 50. They missed their last four in uh, extended garbage time in the fourth uh charlotte does like to go to this zone they've played some of the most zone in the league they didn't do too much of that against boston they mostly limited that to sideline out of bounds and what they'll do is they'll start off in a two three look and then after a pass or two phoenix was the first team last year i saw to do this where after a pass or two then just whoever is closest to you they'll just match up into a man-to-man -man, uh and particularly with the the late shot clock and a lot of sideline out of bounds situations I, I think the idea is that you're just you prevent them from getting initial opening you mess up whatever the sideline out of bounds play was because you're going against the zone and then you can match up to man-to-man -to -man by the time they've realized that it's zone so uh, that wasn't an extensively used wrinkle, but I think that's that's something that's cool that is around the league. Probably could talk about Boston here a little bit more and these last. Yeah, so yeah, uh, let me ahead, do sorry. let me do their stats before we forget. Great, great, yeah. Um, Boston twenty five and twenty five on the season, nine and eight since the last fifteen sixty. They're ninth in net rating. So we talked about that difference. The Celtics, Celtics and Hornets, about the same record, negative one point seven net rating for the Hornets, plus two point four for Boston. Tenth in offense, thirteenth in defense. Five thirty eight actually predicts that they will tie with 
the Atlanta Hawks for the fourth best record in the Eastern Conference. 97% Raptor, 85% chance ELO of making the playoffs. Um, Jalen Brown left the Houston game early with a left knee contusion. He was questionable, but played on Sunday. Tristan Thompson is back with the team, but he needs to pass conditioning cardio tests. We don't know how long that's going to take. And we can get into their part of this game. Yeah, Romeo Langford was back. That, that was exciting. He announced his presence by immediately stepping on the sideline in the corner, but then he announced his presence more with a quick off the dribble three from the top of the key. Played 12 minutes in this one. They got him in in the first half. Uh, was one out of four, but did also have uh, some of that nice help defense that we saw him flash last year uh, where Miles Bridges had a spin move on the baseline against Kemba Walker and Langford came over and blocked his dunk attempt. That was a pretty spectacular play. Robert Williams uh, has been starting for them. He had another ridiculously efficient game, 16 points, 7 of 9. I actually thought that he played poorly defensively. Uh, only four defensive rebounds in his time out there. A, a lot of the, he just doesn't really box out. Uh, that's not what he does. And part of it wasn't his fault because, as I mentioned, they were switching a, a lot. But he just didn't have the alacrity going after the ball, nor did the Celtics perimeter players, frankly. But, it, you know, again, it wasn't going to be a problem because the Hornets just couldn't score no matter how many chances that they got at the basket the other thing that was really exciting to me about this game was the play of evan fournier he's had a couple of really good ones in a row this was 17 points four or five from three six assists and he just was exactly what i thought he might be for this team just a great connector uh wasn't really attacking off the pick and roll himself but would get the the ball with an opening make the right decision to pass a drive or shoot and when he got in the lane he was kicking it out to other guys just the sort of of keeping the churn going kind of plays that just uh, were missing for this team uh, overall and when you shoot four or five from three some pretty difficult attempts really quick release he just with the limited threats that they had in orlando he was not getting as many of those spot ups and just to have a second guy who can handle and pass on that second unit and shoot it it was really massive he was 0 for 10 in his first game but these last two uh, he has been outstanding from downtown, and uh, this was the game where you saw exactly what he could be for this group. Well, and also the greater context of kind of where the Celtics rotation could be going. They have these five guys in the starting lineup, including Robert Williams, that they like. Then Fournier looks like Pritchard will be important off the bench, and then Tristan Thompson, I think, will step into that kind of other role, yeah. probably primarily eight deep. But then there are all these other guys that Stevens can go to, depending on matchups and all that. Ojale is still unavailable, but Grant Williams could be one of them. Lankford, depending on how he plays, maybe Mo Wagner in certain situations, Neesmith if he's playing well. And they aren't necessarily amazing options outside of that group, but there are there are some there. And of course, Brad Stevens got to go deep on his bench in this throw Yeah, I mean, the, the last Neesmith played 12 minutes and all of them were in the fourth quarter, if you want to know uh, how it went. They've, the Unicornette's been playing some uh, at backup center, hit, hit some threes. The problem, though, is they have to go to a drop coverage. They're not Jim Boyle so they're not asking Luke Cornette to uh, get on the floor and, and blitz pick and rolls and that's uh, when Charlotte had some of their better success at being able to go at him and pick and roll uh, although he, he still was plus 11 uh, but uh, he had like a nice floater in the lane missed it missed his two threes but he, he's given them at least some adequate minutes during this period I don't think anyone assumed that he was going to be a part of their rotation once uh, Thompson came back yeah and so it was funny, the game that I focused on for the Celtics this week was that they, they played Dallas on national TV on Wednesday. And 
because Robert Williams was was unavailable and Tristan Thompson was still out. Well, Robert Williams was missed due to illness. They had to start Mo Wagner and then Cornette as the backup. And in the first half especially, it really did not go well. I, the, the Luka had 24 points. The Mavs went up 20. And then, so then I kind of started paying less attention to it and watching all the other things that were going on. And then Boston had that toward comeback and ended up making it a close game late. But, it, you know, you could see some of the limitations. But now that Wagner and Cornette have gone to smaller parts of the rotation, it looks a lot better. Like, and, and not to say that Wagner's terrible or anything like that, but, you know, with Robert Williams in the fold, you can put him in a more manageable role. Yeah, I was impressed by Fournier's defense in this game as yep. well. One-on-one, he looked pretty good again. That Not like, you know, Kevin Durant is playing uh, on the other team here, but he made some nice plays as a help defender as well. And yeah, this is a, a nice game to be a Celtics fan, even though they, of course, uh, are only 25 and 25. And now we can conclude with the 26 and 24 Atlanta Hawks. They beat the Warriors today, 12 and 5 in their last 17, 10th in the NBA in net ratings, 12th on offense, 20th on defense. They project a tie for the four seed right now, 39 wins, although obviously that is a very fluid situation. 96% chance of the playoffs per Raptor and 94% chance per Elo. What's the latest news for these guys? Well, so Trey Young missed Friday's game due to knee soreness. He was listed as questionable against the Warriors, played 28 minutes, was 3 of 11 from the field, but they got contributions from a lot of other guys, as we'll talk about. John Collins is out for at least a week. He has a lateral ankle sprain and a bone bruise. That doesn't sound great, but, you know, if it's if it's only more in the week range, they can handle that. Uh, Gallinari has started in his stead most of the time, though Gallinari did not start in this one. They had um, Solomon Hill, actually, in the, in the starting lineup. But then DeAndre hunter concerningly so remember it was it was positive that he returned after that surgery uh right knee issue re- returned earlier than expected then now has missed you know returned and then now has missed an additional six straight with right knee soreness so that doesn't feel great to me in terms of I mean, the medical staff is the first place I always turn when a guy comes back early and then immediately goes out with the same thing. Yeah, that's not amazing. Now, Nate McMillan, when asked about it before the game, said he feels like he's getting close. He just didn't feel quite comfortable enough to play. So there is an expectation that he's going to return relatively soon here. Uh, I thought today was pretty hilarious. You mentioned Trey only playing 28 minutes. And now that they have Lou Williams, they have the luxury of not having to play Trey as much. Uh, And Trey was bad. 3 of 11, you mentioned 7 turnovers, did get to the foul line for 8 free throws. Trey, still, he doesn't take that many threes, and his floater game has gone awry. Like, he's he's been the one guy who's been struggling some lately for this team, uh, but Trey was negative eight, and usually you'd say for with the Hawks history, well, if Trey was negative eight, there's no way they won. No, they actually beat the Warriors uh, because Lou Williams was plus 19, and Trey could look over and see Steph Curry on the other side be plus eight in a game his team lost by six despite playing 37 minutes and scoring 37 points. So, and the, really it was uh, Gallo who took advantage of the rather foul, happy Warriors in this game. And he's been solid lately. Last 15 games or so, he's been exactly what they thought they were signing. Right. And Gallinari in this one, he attempted as many free throws by himself as the Warriors made. He was 13 of 15. The Warriors were 15 of 21. Um, 35 of 45 overall for the Hawks. The total foul numbers weren't that different, but the Hawks were able to convert those into free throws when 
whether they were shooting fouls or getting into the bonus early and then getting free throws. Off of that, Capella had a few late. And this looks like a totally, and remember, John Collins is out and Hunter's out, like, and Reddish is out. Like, a, a more deep team, you know, like Gallo, Anyeka Kongwu played 16 minutes in this one, Tony Snell, heavy minutes off the bench, and then Lou Will can play, you know, especially against a team like the Warriors that doesn't have a second unit that has anyone who can challenge him defensively. Like, you could, being able to play those guys, like, they're, they're able to cobble this together even with so many guys out and that was I thought a real important benefit for the Hawks especially in a game when Trey Young was so limited I also thought that Clint Capella had an impactful game as well offensive glass defensive glass can affecting shots around the rim too yeah and he was uh, definitely at least in the conversation although not really a threat to win defensive player of the year Clint Capella 18 percent offensive rebounds that's like getting to like Dennis Rodman type of territory that is just a, a crazy number and Capella doesn't his free throws he's not a great finisher on a lot of those offensive rebounds that's why his efficiency is not as high as you would hope for necessarily by the way the most important statistic for the Hawks is that Tony Snell made three out of four threes in his last couple of games so the over 50 percent from three Tony Snell watch it continues Dulo Gallinari, I mentioned his last 15 games, 63% true shooting, plus 12.1 net rating. Again, the Hawks, the Hawks turning it with some of these bench units. No Rondo. Now they got Lou Williams in there as well. He's only played a couple of games, though. Uh, 20% 20% usage for Gallo and then Bogdanovich also right around 60% true shooting since uh, his last 15 games so he's starting to get to be kind of what they hope he's back in the starting lineup now uh, Kevin Herter is coming off the bench despite Herter being second on the team in minutes so far I do wonder with John Collins how long it's going to be with this lateral ankle sprain and bone bruise I know he's supposed to be reevaluating a week but uh Time seems to be uh, relatively meaningless for the Hawks in terms of these timetables this year. I mean, when you look at Okongwu and Chris Dunn and Rondo and Hunter and Cam Reddish, who still has been out uh, this whole time, it's uh, I'm not counting on him being back in a week. We'll put it that way. I Just for fun, I was looking through the Hawks schedule. Their final four games of the season, so long time from now. Washington, Washington, Orlando, Houston, all in Atlanta. That could work out pretty well for them. All right, and hopefully this 15 and 60 worked out pretty well for you. Thanks so much uh, for listening. A reminder, you can subscribe to Dunked on Prime and get four more episodes per week, plus this episode ad-free as well. We're going to have uh, an update to the cap sheet for the Milwaukee Bucks uh, already with uh, Drew Holiday. You can see how they uh, might be facing the tax uh, a little bit in future years. And a reminder also, tomorrow we are back with the NBA cast. Big one, Dallas and Utah. That is going to be a fun, fun game. Love it when those two teams match up. Doncic versus uh, Rudy Gobert is always great theater uh, on Utah's defensive end. So we will see you there or however else you want to talk to us. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.